0: Did you come expecting that today? Hallelujah. Our theme and our vision for this year, and we've been, we've been talking about it for a while, is one at a time. One at a time. And I've said a couple times recently that when Jesus gets locked on to an individual person, it's almost like everything else around him fades and blurs and almost as though time starts to stop and slow down. Because Jesus's heartbeat, God's heartbeat, is one person. He's not willing that any should perish. He's reaching. He's reaching for the whole world, but he has this aptitude. He has this ability to just slow down and just give us individual attention. To give us individual attention, and he does it one at a time. It's possible to get so busy doing things, living for God, to lose sight of some of the most basic and fundamental things that God has called you to do. There's moments when God causes you to stand still and he causes you to start to see what he sees. Have you ever had a moment like that? I can remember being in some major world cities. I remember one time being in uh, London, England, and it, just, it was the biggest city I'd ever been in to that point, and there was just so many people. And I can remember standing there on the sidewalk and just seeing the the masses, the multitudes, Brother Hunter of people, just passed me by as far as the eye could see. And I just remember thinking, what must God feel for all of these, all of these individual people, each of them with their own story, each of them with their own circumstances, each of them with their own even brokenness. And just being overwhelmed by the sense that sometimes we can get occupied doing things, that are just going on in life and we can just need God to step in and help us see things like he sees things. Every time I talk to someone even here in Missouri and I'm interacting with them and someone new that I'm meeting and I learn that they come from a city that I know for a fact has no apostolic Pentecostal church in it. Maybe they even come from a county that doesn't have an apostolic Pentecostal church in it. It just does that same kind of number on me, and it just causes me to step back and evaluate Brother Deaver and say, what must God feel sometimes whenever I get so occupied with the things that are going on, even things that are pertaining to living for God, as best as I know how, how must God feel whenever he comes in and he just starts to reset my perspective a little bit. It's possible not just to have those feelings from time to time, but it's possible to even have that feeling when we're right here at home. When we're right here at home in Butler County, in Poplar Bluff, in your neighborhood, on your campus, on your job site, in your family. But it takes a spiritual focus to do that. It takes whenever we put ourselves in the presence of God and we allow him to pull us out of some of the everyday things that just occupy us. And we start to let Him say, God, I need you to focus my attention. I need a reset in my spiritual vision. Even Jesus had to get refocused. It might surprise you to hear that today, but Jesus, He was 100% God and He was 100% man. He had a real human element. He had a real human nature. He was without sin, but he was human like you and I. And there was times in Jesus' ministry where even he had to do some of what I'm describing right now because the rush of everyday life and the rush of even doing the will of his Father, as best he knew how and as it presented to him on a daily basis, even on an hourly basis, there was times when Jesus had to withdraw. And he had to get focused. He had to refocus on what the father would have him to do and it's from that place where jesus would step aside from time to time and he would get focused and he would get away with the father and he would pray and he would allow the holy ghost to just energize him and he would get focused on what he needed to really be doing i believe it's from that place brother jake that jesus had that unique ability to do what we've talked about him doing he was able to just stop and he was able to focus on the one Time almost stood still. Everything else started to blur. And it's because he had those times, those moments where he went and he recalibrated and he became focused and he became disciplined and he stayed on mission that he was able to do that one-on-one ministry that we know him for throughout the Gospels. I want to expound a little bit on that today for our benefit because there's a quality that Jesus walks out and lives And there's an example that he sets for us that I think the Holy Ghost would have us to capture. If you would, I would turn your attention today to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Early in Jesus' ministry, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse... I was going to begin reading at verse 32, but I'm going to begin on verse 29. Verse 29. Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 29. Here's what the word of the Lord says. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother, so Simon Peter's mother-in-law, lay sick of a fever. And Anon, they came to tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. Verse 32, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door of Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. Then Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35, now in the morning, having risen a long while before the daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus. And when they found him, they said to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. I want to minister from the word of the Lord from that text on this thought, the Capernaum test, the Capernaum Test. They were in a city called Capernaum and Jesus I believe in addition to whatever else he was doing there I believe there's a test that presented itself to Jesus there And I want to minister from the word of the Lord on that end today If you would set your Bibles down, let's lift up our hand toward heaven And let's go before the Lord and ask him to open up our spiritual eyes And our understanding so that we might receive from him today Would you lift up your voice and do that right now all over this room in the name of Jesus Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearing, Lord, and that you would help us to have ears to hear what your spirit would say to us today. Lord, I pray that God, in the middle of our lives, things, our lives that are filled with things, even things that are pleasing to you, even things that we're supposed to be doing, God, that you would bring us to a place today like you faced that day in Capernaum, Lord, that we would Lord, be presented with a similar type of situation. We'd recognize the day that we're in and that, Lord, we would become more focused than ever on what you would have us to do and the purpose that you've called us for. Lord, more than anything, we want to be more like you. Lord, build us up and edify us. Correct us, God. Change us. Transform us. And, Lord, we will give you all of the praise. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated the Capernaum test. As evening approached, there was the unmistakable feeling of one day ending and another day beginning. There was a sense of anticipation that settled over that town of Capernaum. Because This day wasn't just an ordinary day, but it was the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was a Saturday. And Sabbath day began at sundown on Friday. When the sun set on Friday evening, it marked the beginning of a new Sabbath day. Sabbath day went all the way from that time through Saturday. And the law said that when there were three stars in the sky, that the Sabbath would end on Saturday evening. When the sun went back down. So it encompassed a full 24-hour period. And as Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue on that particular Sabbath, they had, in our words, almost just kind of gone to church. They went to synagogue on on the day that they went. And they went to the gathering, the weekly gathering of the people of God. And when they left the synagogue and they went back to the house, they went to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house and found that she was sick And had a fever. She was laying up and had a fever, and no one knew what to do about it. And Jesus took her, touched her, and healed her of that fever. Word began to trickle out throughout Capernaum of what had taken place at Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, how Jesus had worked a miracle. Had Jesus had dealt with something that no one else knew how to deal with? But it was still Sabbath, and there was still all the regulations and and the parameters that one had to live within at Sabbath, you didn't go and do a lot of things on Sabbath. There was some things that had to wait until the Sabbath ended. so there was a there was a tension that started to pick up as the hours and the moments clicked by, and the Sabbath was about. To end. And there was a tenseness that blanketed the town and the countryside as every person in town waited for nightfall. They waited for the stars to start to come out so that Sabbath would be over and they could do what they really wanted to do. And when the Sabbath ended, the people came and the crowds of people descended on that house where Jesus and several of his disciples were staying. Verse 32 and 33 of Mark chapter one that we've read together today says, at evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick or who were oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Just imagine your house and imagine as darkness finally starts to set in, Sister Mona, that the whole town, is outside of your house because there's someone on the inside that they want to get to. And they're not a violent mob, they're not they don't have pitchforks, torches. But there's there's an anticipation. They have to get into contact with somebody that's inside. What a scene that must have been in Capernaum that evening as it, as it started to get dark outside and the crowds finally were released from their Sabbath regulations and were able to start carrying the sick to Jesus. They were able to start leading by the hand those who were oppressed by demonic spirits and get them into some kind of proximity to this one person that they felt would be able to do something with a situation that they had no answers for. And the way that the scripture tells us in Mark chapter 1 seems to indicate that as they were arriving at the door, as this crowd assembled around the house of the mother-in-law of Simon Peter where Jesus was, that it was a scene of almost one after another, after another, after another, so that it was, it was almost like there was a surging mass of crippled people, of sick people, of people that had some kind of affliction, of people that were oppressed by demonic spirits. And there was just a constant flow of Sister Doty, one person after another, after another, after another. As soon as they would close the door, there would be another knock at the door, or there'd be a knock at the back door, or sometimes maybe they wouldn't even get the door closed, and there would just be another person that would present themselves. The whole town, Scripture says, descended on this place because they heard what Jesus was doing. I imagine in my mind that the press of that crowd trying to get to where Jesus was must have felt a little bit threatening, that there must have been some sensations. I'll say that. There must have been some smells, Brother Jake. Sick people, oppressed people, people that were down. They're carrying everybody to Jesus. I imagine it was a scene to end all scenes. It was a landmark day In Capernaum. It was unlike anything else that they had ever experienced before. And Jesus, it says, healed and delivered all of them. All of them. Jesus started laying hands. Jesus started speaking the word of authority. Jesus started doing miracles. And time and time again, every person, Brother Ryan, that presented themselves at that house, walked away with a touch from Jesus. They'd been healed in their body. They'd been delivered in their mind. There was demonic spirits that were cast out, and they were able to start doing things differently. They had been changed. And there were miracles, and there was a flow of ministry that opened up that night in Capernaum in that house. And we have to beware of reading verses 32 and 33 and 34, that scene that I've just described to you as only a success story because the people were not coming to Jesus for the reason that he wants for them to come. They had legitimate needs and Jesus is willing to meet needs and Jesus still heals today and Jesus still delivers today. And Jesus can still cast out demons and we can do that in his name today. But the people crowded in around that house and every single person there wasn't anybody asking jesus how should i live there wasn't anyone asking on that night in Capernaum, lord how can i be saved how can i inherit the kingdom of heaven how can be a, i be a part of what you're doing in the earth but they're coming to him time and time again with real legitimate needs of healing in their body healing in their mind and jesus is healing them left and right And it's easy to read a passage like that and to see it as a huge success. But the people were not coming to Jesus for the reason that Jesus was on the earth. What a great danger it is to see something and to call it success when it's not everything God says success is about. It's possible for things to be going well but for things not to be going right. It's possible for things to be going well, but at the same time, things aren't going 100% right. Only three times in the gospel of Mark do we hear about Jesus praying. Certainly he prayed more times than that, but we hear three times in particular in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus prays. The first is right here at the beginning of his ministry. He was in Capernaum and, and we read the text together. He, he steals away and, and goes to a desolate and solitary place and he prays. The second time is in the middle of his ministry when he's in the middle of feeding the multitudes and all of those kinds of things that we read about once Jesus' earthly ministry becomes established. And the third time that we hear about Jesus praying in the Gospel of Mark Is whenever he is in the garden of Gethsemane. And he is facing the prospect of Calvary and crucifixion. Both. All three of these references appear at crucial junctures. At crisis moments in Jesus' ministry and story. And it may surprise you. It may shock you today to hear. That even Jesus had to deal with the prospect of an unfocused life. Jesus without focus. Can you even imagine that? A Jesus that lived on the face of the earth and did everything that he did, but never took the time to focus on what the father had in mind for him to do most of all. Can you even think of a Jesus that lacks discipline enough to say, you know what, things are going well, but things aren't going entirely right. Can we imagine a Jesus who doesn't escape Capernaum and go out into the solitary place and get back into alignment with the will of the Father? And then when his disciples find him, they say, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. You know what they're asking? You know what they have in mind? They're saying, Jesus, why don't we go back to Capernaum for round two? Why don't we do an encore in Capernaum? There's more people. There's more popularity, Jesus. There's more things going on. Healings, popularity, exorcisms, demons being cast out, crowds, affirmation, excitement. Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Why don't we go back and do it all over again? And as much as those things appeal to you and me, the healings and the deliverances, the power, the affirmation, the excitement of all of that, as much as that appeals to you and me, you have to believe with me this morning that it also appealed to Jesus. There was a human element of Jesus Christ that like every single person in this room, there's a part of being popular, of being, people being excited about you showing up that appeals to you and me. Certainly there was something in Jesus' human nature that those things resonated with him. And he knew that there was going to be a temptation to stay in Capernaum indefinitely. This was the Capernaum test. Jesus went away in the middle of the night and he got back into alignment with the Father because those things, as appropriate as they were, as powerful as they were, as much as we believe that they absolutely still happen in the name of Jesus today, they were not the primary, the number one thing that the Father had sent him to do. That night in Capernaum, there was a breakthrough that happened. There was miracles. There was a flow of ministry that started to happen. There were were deliverances that that were given, and people's lives were changed. There was a breakthrough in Capernaum that night, but recognize with me today, that there was also a test that took place. Because if you're doing all of those other things, but you're not able to do the most important thing, it's mission failed. Despite having all of the accolades, despite having all the achievements, despite having all the miracles and all the exorcisms notched in his belt... If Jesus did all of those things, but he failed to do the one thing that his father willed him to do, he was not going to be able to be called a success. Someone said it to me once, and it's always just gotten printed on me. And I think about it whenever I'm reading about passages like this, and when I'm on this line of thought, they said to me one time, or I read it somewhere, I can't can't attribute it, I don't know where it came from. But they said, my great fear is not failure. My great fear is succeeding at all the wrong things. I'm not afraid of failing. What I'm more afraid of is succeeding at the wrong things. Because how does your flesh, how does your human nature tell the difference? between failing and succeeding at the right, wrong things. Because most of the time, all that success, all that energy, all that adrenaline, everything that Jesus and the disciples must have been feeling that night in Capernaum, it was appropriate. There was nothing at face value wrong with any of it. But it fed a part of us that lacks the ability to distinguish (laughs) and to make distinctions between the secondary things and the main thing. There's a part of our brain that turns off when it likes what it feels, when it likes what's going on, and it starts to just not want to distinguish because it wants to latch on to these things. And it doesn't really care, Brother Sanders, if it's the main thing. It likes what's going on right there. And Jesus had a test in Capernaum that's along those lines. Jesus was being used by man. But in that moment where all the crowds are pressing in, and Brother Billy one after another, after another, after another, after another, she probably doesn't have any grass left in the yard anymore. There's just a, I mean, they, they've trampled everything, all the lawn ornaments, everything, right? Mailbox pie knocked down. I mean, it's just a whole commotion. One after another, after another, after another. Coming to Jesus. And in the middle of all that, in the middle of everyone wanting to extract something from Jesus, we see Jesus' heart. Jesus healed all of them. Jesus delivered anybody that came to him for deliverance. Your heart can be in the right place, seeing needs, responding to needs, but your focus can be off in the meantime. Have you ever felt like you're just constantly putting out fires? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever get in that mode of life where it feels like you're just constantly just trying to extinguish one fire after another? you're just going around doing damage control, so to speak? And it seems like once you ever, you ever tried to get to, maybe I'm maybe' I'm the only one. I have a lot I do a lot of things through email, and there's times when I try to get all my inbox cleared out. Sister Jen, you know what I'm talking about? I try to get inbox zero. I try to get zero, zero emails sitting in my inbox. It is a terrific feeling. Right? But it only lasts for about like six minutes at a time. Because there's, there's going to be, there is going to be, as soon as, I get, as soon as I clear it out, Sister Gina, there's going to be something else that comes up. There's going to be another fire to put out. There's going to be something else to do. There's going to be something. There's going to be someone else at the door knocking, wanting. And it's not a me thing. It's an us thing. It's just we all face that. There's people that want to extract. There's people that want to do something. Hey, why don't you come do this? Hey, can you do this for me? Hey, why don't you come over here and involve you? Why don't you give some of your time to this? Why don't you pour some of your energy into that? And some of it is perfectly innocent. Some of it is not on its own, harmful or damaging or sinful at all. But when we get caught in the rush and the press of that cycle repeatedly over and over and over again, we can get to the place where we're no longer tending to the main thing. We can get off purpose. What did Jesus do when he reached a place like that? he recognized in his wisdom, he knew after one night in Capernaum of all that happening, it didn't take very long for Jesus to figure out what was going on. Sometimes it takes me a little while to get, to, to get myself shook up and, and realize that that's going on, that I've just been in fire putting out mode for a little while too long. But Jesus figures it out in one night. And what does Jesus do? Verse 35 says, And rising very... Early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus had gotten as much sleep as he cared to get. He woke up. When he woke up, it was still dark out. Everyone else was still asleep in the house. Jesus noiselessly just... Stealthy slips out of the house Finds his way out onto the street there in Capernaum Soon he was out of town And he was climbing a hillside In some remote spot Possibly in a hidden hollow Or maybe a cluster of trees that hid him And he began to pray But the deliberateness of it is important Is the time of day important? Sure is it important to start your day with prayer and focusing on God? It's an excellent practice to be in. I can't advocate for it enough. Those details of Jesus getting up early in the morning before the day broke and getting alone and, and some of those details, very important. It's a good pattern to follow. But I think more important than even some of those details is just the fact that it happened. And it happened on purpose. There was a refocus and there was a rediscipline. And if Jesus Christ needed it, we must have to have it too. Asking, why am I here? What am I here to do? The ability for Jesus to do what we love most about him, which is zero in on one person. We love those stories about Jesus just zeroing in on one person and his ability to do that and to do powerful ministry, not just to the multitudes, but even just to one, his ability to do that has its origin point outside of Capernaum in a hidden spot where he gets alone with God. And he says, God, there's been a lot of excitement in the past few hours. So much so I didn't even get much sleep tonight but I need to know is this exactly what you would have me to be doing or is there something else that you would will that I do I think the adversary would have been very agreeable to the idea of Jesus staying in Capernaum indefinitely I think that's a deal that the adversary would have taken Sure, work the miracles, do the healings, deliver people, upset the apple cart a little bit in this one place. But Jesus, never get to the place where you have that revelation of what he said to his disciples. He says, we need to go to the next towns. I need to preach and teach there too because it's what the Father would have me to do. I think the adversary would have been absolutely okay with trying to contain Jesus to Capernaum. For Jesus never to have that encounter, never to have that audience with the Father that allowed him to refocus, that allowed him to see ahead on the horizon that there were still yet more people that needed to come into the kingdom, that needed to hear the message of the kingdom that he was preaching in all the different towns around Galilee. I think that Satan has a containment strategy for the church. I think he does. I think Satan has a containment strategy in the church. And I don't think it would be a stretch to say that the adversary has made peace with the fact that while we are in the four walls of where we do things that there's going to be healings. There's going to be those that are delivered. There's going to be those that talk about the gospel and that preach the gospel and that testify of the goodness of God. I think the adversary knows that within the four walls of where we are that that's going to happen. But I think he's got, Brother Prince, I think he's got a containment strategy. And I think he's counting, Brother Burke, on us never getting an audience with the Father long enough to where we can hear the heartbeat of God and here like Jesus did. There's a purpose that I'm here for. I've got to go to the next town. I've got to go to the next person. I've got to go to the next family. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now because the Lord is reaching for people in our lives. He's reaching for our family members. He's reaching for our coworkers. He's reaching for our neighbors. He's reaching for people that we sit next to in class at school, that we go to class with. He's reaching for those people. And you need to, you need to understand Satan's got a containment strategy for you. He's content to let you do what you do here and to let us do what we do here. But he is scared to death that we're going to take it out there. The adversary is scared to death that we're going to get a revelation of the purpose of the Father for us. And that we're going to take it to the next town. And that we're going to take it to the next neighborhood. And that we're going to take a Bible study to someone else's kitchen table. He's scared to death of that. He doesn't want any of that to happen. And if you don't think that he'll do everything in his arsenal to keep us in that place of putting out fires and even enjoying the good things that happen right here that are in the will of God, that are, that are for us today, if you don't think that Satan is subtle and sly and skillful enough to use all of those things to contain the church, If he tried it on Jesus, he's going to try it on us. It has a lot of the same elements that were present at Capernaum. And whether any of us walked in realizing it today, we came in with expectation of what God is going to do at church on Sunday. And praise be to God that we can come into a house like this and that we know that the Holy Ghost is going to meet us in this place and that there's going to be deliverance and that there's going to be baptism and that the Holy Ghost is going to fall. Praise be to God that we have a place that we can come to when we need healing in our body, when we need deliverance in our mind that we can crowd around where Jesus is at, and one after another after another, Jesus will heal and touch and deliver and set free. But far be it from us to fail to do what Jesus did next. When all the dust had settled on Sunday morning, when everything on that Sabbath day had finally drawn to a close, And the last person knocked on the front door and got delivered. When the last song was sung at church that Sunday, Jesus slipped away because he knew there was still yet more beyond the noise and beyond all the blessedness that had happened throughout that wonderful landmark Sabbath day in Capernaum. Jesus knew there's got to be more that I am here to do. I've got to get into the presence of my heavenly father and I've got to get up close enough to him where I can hear his voice. I've got to shut down everything else because I need to get back into alignment with the heart of God. Brothers and sisters, it's beautiful when we come together and we lift our hands in worship and we lay hands on one another and there's deliverance and we open up the baptismal tank on a Sunday, and there's things happening that please God. But I would submit to you this morning that it might just be that our Heavenly Father has a bigger vision than even that. There's not a person under the sound of my voice here today that doesn't have surges of important and urgent and significant things pounding on your front door of your life. Significant things that demand your attention. And maybe, maybe you came in on a Sunday morning and just perhaps you're among a minority of people That everything that comes and knocks at your front door, Sister Hannah, you're just, you're killing it. You're doing great. You're just, you're knocking it out of the park. Everything's just going your way. You're handling everything in stride. There's nothing that's catching you off guard. You are just, you're just knocking it down, doing a great job. Everything's going great today. But there's those surges in that constant stream of things in life that is demanding your attention. And, it, when, and sometimes when it's looking as good as it can, that's the critical point that we need to find that early morning hour time of audience with the Father. And I want to know this morning as the musicians come, is there anyone who is willing to follow in the steps of the master and say, there's a Capernaum test that I'm facing? I love the Lord, I love living for God, Does anybody love living for the Lord? I know you wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning if you didn't have a heartbeat for God. You love, we love living for the Lord. We love coming together and singing and and worshiping. And there's, I believe that there's going to be opportunities where the Lord can heal and deliver even while we're here yet today. Wouldn't it be something, there's someone that might get filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost for the first time. There might be some that say, I need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of my sins. And we love the Lord and we want to do everything we can to please the Lord. But I'm wondering this morning, is there one who would say, I want to follow in the steps of the master and say, there's ministry that I need to do outside these walls. I need to refocus. Would you stand with me right now all over this room? Lift up your hand toward heaven. Would you just be sensitive to the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is here right now. Would you say, God... Lift up my spiritual vision today. Come on, would you do that earnestly right now? Would you just believe in the words that you're saying and say, God, I need my spiritual vision to be enlarged beyond the, bi- beyond the boundaries of this property, beyond the boundaries of this building. Lord, help me to see what else lies beyond in my mission field that you've prepared for me. pray that there would be somebody here today that would see the woman at the well I pray there would be someone today that sees a vision of somebody, the woman with the issue of blood, crawling their way to Jesus the boy with the loaves and the fish, he's out there there's one that's out there the centurion whose daughter is dying She desperately needs a touch in her body. There's a woman bringing two mites in the offering. There's people that are scattered throughout our community that are hungry for the things of God. There's a man who's possessed with a legion of devils in Gadara. There's a woman caught in the very act of adultery. There's people whose lives are broken, shattered, that are looking for answers. These altars are open right now. If there's someone that would say, Lord, I need to refocus. God, I believe in everything that happens in this building. I want to be a part of it. I want to unify with it. Lord, I want to experience healing and works of power and works of deliverance. But God, I recognize right now on this Sunday morning. That, Lord, there's a Capernaum test that's lingering in the air right now because of amidst all the popularity and all the crowds and the excitement of everything that it is, being a person of God when we gather together, that there's one that's out there on the horizon. There's another town. Jesus said, for this purpose I've been called, that I would go to the next town, that I would teach there, that I would preach there, that somebody would hear the testimony of what God's doing in the earth. Come on, right now, all over this room, one at a time, one at a time, is there somebody who'll say, I'm ready to reach one? If it means I'm stepping away from all the noise and all the popularity, I'm going to get into the presence of my heavenly Father. I'm going to get into alignment with Him. I'm going to say, God, bring me into contact with somebody that's hurting. Bring me into contact with somebody that's searching for answers, that's confused in their mind.